Hey, welcome to another episode of Scooby Dudes. That's right, Scooby Dudes. This is a podcast that is about our, uh, he's Luke, I'm Evan, meddling kids. It's about our meddling kids? Is that what, is that what I said? That's what you said. But no, it's true. Like, uh, we've been meaning to talk about how our kids have been meddling with each other a lot lately. I think Evan's kids are the instigators. I'm really glad that you frame this as our respective children because I had thought that I was framing this as our shared children. We, maybe we should do it that way. I don't know if our fans are shipping us just yet. That's such a hard thing because on one hand, if they do, I feel like they'll keep listening to the episode in the hopes that we'll profess our undying love for one another. You're happy to sex up our relationship for, for listenership. Yeah, make things a little bit saucier if it'll get, uh, it'll get ears on the pod. <laughs> this is Scooby Dudes, a, uh, a podcast by two lovers talking about our own meddling kids yeah this is this is closeted cartoon lovers (laughs) see here's the thing that makes a sound that like this is an animated show about two closeted men makes it sound like something from adult swim but no it's a podcast for two best friends i'm homo he's sexual excuse me i'm luke he's evan (laughs) it's it's about scooby-doo uh the tagline being a podcast about our favorite meddling kids and their dumb dog too scooby-doo i'm luke that's evan what we're about to do for you today is we're about to talk out a, a double episode, a very unique double episode of the new Scooby and Scrappy-Doo show. The first uh, half of the episode being called um, The Fall Dog. The second half being called The Scooby Coop. Um, please, please enjoy. Please enjoy. This episode had some ups and downs, some fun stuff in it. I don't know. You guys listen to it. Will you listen to it? Please listen to it. <laughs> I can't believe I just shouted. Now you have to keep it, because we're not going to do any other takes where you shout again. All right, let's cut it there. Enjoy the episode. Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. Scooby Scooby Dudes. Welcome to Scooby Dudes. I'm Luke. I am Evan. We are Luke and Evan. As you may have guessed, this is a podcast about Scooby Doo and all of its iterations. To get right into it, uh, what we're going to be covering this week is the new Scooby and Scrappy Doo show, which began airing in 1983. The, The big headline with this is that it's Scooby, it's Scrappy, it's Shaggy, it's Daphne, Fred and Velma are nowhere to be seen. Also, it is those four characters that you just mentioned, and they're solving supernatural mysteries under the cover of being reporters for a teen magazine. It's not something they explain in the context of the show. They don't really lay that premise when you're when we're watching the episode. Only because you're mentioning it do I remember it now. Also, and this is really uh, this is really fascinating to me is that Daphne is on the show. This marks an end to her four-year absence. And also, I, I said initially that Fred and Velma are nowhere to be seen. They do appear in season two of this series, the new Scooby-Doo, Scooby and Scrappy-Doo show, ending their five-year absences by that point. So by this point, by the time this show comes out, Fred, Velma, and Daphne have been gone from Scooby-Doo for four years. For like almost half a decade. And it's bananas to think like, oh yeah, Scooby-Doo would just continue on without these core characters. Yeah, I think that would have been an experiment that would have gotten shut down pretty fast. Like, okay, that show did all right, but we need to get these core characters back in. It's way better with the full dynamic. Uh, Another thing that is really going to set this apart from past episodes that we've done is that each of these half-hour blocks was split up into two 11-minute episodes. The pacing felt so odd going through. You expect a full 20-minute episode, and here they have a full mystery, but condensed way down, just 11 minutes. And one mystery right after another. It's how a lot of cartoons nowadays are aired, like Adventure Time and and Steven Universe, Star vs. the Forces of Evil. Right, exactly. Like Adventure Time, uh, similar shows would be like, I think like the Powerpuff Girls and like Dexter's Lab. Both short segment shows. Yeah, so they didn't didn't go for like the full like 20 minute plot. They sort of had these like really like condensed, concise, like 10, 11 minute uh, blocks. And I'm psyched to talk to you about whether or not it worked here or how well it worked here, because we basically watched two episodes. It's episode 10 of season one. The two halves are The Fall Dog and The Scooby Coop. Yeah, would you uh, synopsize The Fall Dog for us, which I imagine we'll talk about first. 
Let's hash that out, and then let's get to the Scooby Coop. Yep. So I'm just I'm just reading off of Wikipedia. This aired November fifth, nineteen eighty three. A detour finds the gang, just the four of them, doing stunts for a Hollywood movie that is being haunted by a gremlin. We're heading to Hollywood. To dive right in, how does it open up? Before we get into the actual episode, I wanted to hit the intro, right? Because that's that's an important part of the series. What's the mo- what would you say is the most notable thing about this intro? I think I can guess. I think I can guess. <laughs> okay, are you sure? I don't know. Maybe There's a... For me, it's the fact that Daphne is absent from the intro. She's the fourth member of the gang, and she is not that anywhere was, in it. That was not it for me. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. so, so mine was of... that the one woman out of the four characters in the gang is not in the intro. Just mentioning that. But what did you no, notice? No, I, I expect a little bit of casual sexism. Okay, yeah. Shame on me for being surprised. In general, it's, it's not very... Um, I would say it's not a particularly notable intro because there's a lot of them running away from ghosts and ghouls and the ghosts sort of exit stage right or whatever on the screen. And then it's like, oh, where did Scooby and Shaggy and Scrappy go? And then the camera zooms in on a coffin and it opens up and they're like sitting on on Dracula's crotch. Like he's like lying there. (laughs) <laughs> and all three yeah. of them are just they, like huddled right on his groin. The ghosts run past and we see this coffin in the background. And we're like, oh, that's colored a little more brightly. That's got to be where they're hiding. And it opens up and yeah, they're, Dracula is lying down and they're sitting on his lap. <laughs> he's, he's got like a little, a tiny bit of like an upturn of, 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 his, uh, of his lips. You know, he's, he's just, just the hint of a grin. Yeah, I'd say he's not menacing because he's smiling, but that is more menacing. There's no question to that. It, it doesn't even work from, a, from like a logistical, like dimensional standpoint because it opens up, right? Like coffins are very uh, shallow. Yeah, no, this is a... <laughs> This is a deep dish coffin. That's how Dracula <laughs> A Chicago-style coffin. Chicago-style coffin. You don't know that's how they bury people in Chicago? Yeah, sitting on each other's laps. Yeah, one person lies down, and the other person sits upright on their lap, and that's how they're buried. Yeah, that's the Chicago version of throwing a handful of uh, dirt onto the coffin. Before they close the coffin, everyone sits on the lap. Like, don't you want to sit on Grandpa's lap one more time before you commit him to the earth? I, I live with my grandfather. I could do that literally any time. Yeah, but... I'm not sure he would like it. When he's dead, then he has no say. And then you can finally get that lap sit that you've been wanting your whole life. Daddy's approval, grandpa's lap sit. Two things. Bucket list. <laughs> so, the the fall dog. Um, the Just one other note on the, uh, the intro. This is the intro where, if you're like me, and this, the phrase will unlock it. It's the one that goes, Scooby, Scooby-Doo. I feel like it's recycled. I feel like it's a recycled theme from a previous show. I I think at least the title card for this episode, when it, where it shows the fall dog, the title card as well also looks recycled. Yeah, I think we've seen that title card before in the original Scrappy Doo series. So yeah, this is the fall dog. We start on a on a Hollywood set, which is out a little bit in the boonies. It's not like it's not like on a lot. It almost looks like they're they're just filming out in the desert. It looks like the, it's a spaghetti western with these big cutout buildings. Yeah, you know like what North Korea put up to to show South Korea that they had like a thriving like economy with like buildings. You know the the front is a facade. There's nothing on the back. That's exactly what it is. Like uh, like the happy face that I put on for uh, people that I meet in my day to day life. And behind it's just an empty shell. It's flat, it's fake. You can tell if you get close to it at all, so I don't let people get close. Um, That's basically what this is. And the mystery, uh, just to get back to the episode, the mystery is why I keep trying to meet people to (laughs) to find love in this life. Uh, when I keep failing, why? What's what's the deal if only, with that? If only there was a dog and his friends to uh, to get to the bottom of that, to unmask and find out yeah. who the culprit really is. You meddling kids, you've you've fixed me. You're the monster. You're the monster. That's that's the mystery. <laughs> I am the monster. That that is it. You're haunting yourself. You need help. All all I ever actually wanted was to stop them building this resort because I own a rival casino. That was. The- <laughs> And my father's approval. That's I also wanted that. And you know what? Grandpa's lap sit. <laughs> that was my rosebud. <laughs> so we open up on a two-dimensional cardboard cutout of Grandpa's lap. Okay. Uh, the gang is trying uh, <laughs> to climb onto it. Oh, okay. So the gang is going to Hollywood. They want to... Uh, well, actually, we aren't even there yet. Sorry. I mean, like, I think, I think they are technically on Hollywood. They're just on the outskirts of it. They're out... Like I said, they're out in the boonies. Um, we we see a director and a stuntman. Uh, the director, his name is Bobby Mogul. Bo- Bobby Mogul, uh, and the stuntman is something else. They're, each person has a name here. Like the protagonist of the movie they're filming has a name mentioned once. 
And it's a weird one. And uh, I guess I'm showing my lack of research that I don't have it. It's C majors. Terry Lee is the stuntman. Um, and basically the director's like, listen up, uh, Terry, get in this car. You're going to do this uh, this little stunt for us. It's really going to like seal the deal on this movie. You're going to jump over this, I th- they called it a crevice? Yeah, a crevice. A and canyon. you can see it's just this giant yeah. This canyon. Yeah, you got to drive this car over this canyon. You're going to go around a loop-de-loop like you're a Hot Wheels car. Hot Wheels or Sonic. You're going to do this full 360-degree loop-de-loop and then keep going the same direction. And then hilariously, you're going to drive through a wall, just like a brick wall. Look, Terry has his misgivings and uh, Bobby Mogul's like listen bud you're the best stunt driver in the business I know you can handle it yep and so you know Terry gives it the old college try drives the car up towards the canyon but it stops right at the edge the hood pops up and it starts smoking honestly I thought that was done well because as he's going, I actually thought the car wasn't going to not make the canyon. I thought it was going to, like, drop. I thought so, too. That's absolutely what I thought. And, you know, just a note is we're being introduced to these characters. What did you think of the voice acting? Okay, this is... Another character is going to pop up. But basically, there's Bobby Mogul, who is the director. There's another character named Mickey Hack, who is the screenwriter. And Bobby Mogul and Mickey Hack remind me so much of the professors on China, Illinois... That I can't, like, I, I want to say that this is where Brad Neely got his inspiration for those characters. You know, that could so easily be. It's so wacky. They have, it's overacted to the, to the nines. If you, if you head over to ScoobyDudes.com, find the link for this episode. I'm going to, uh, yeah, I'm going to take two snapshots, two screenshots to put these, uh, these characters next to one another. You'll see what I'm talking about because it's the voice and the character design. Yeah, it's not totally off base at all. I, the voice acting is really, really played up. I think Scooby-Doo has had some subtle voice acting up to this point, and here they're hamming it up like crazy. Uh, but anyways... The, the hood popped open. Hood popped open, yeah, and there was this tense moment at the top of the cliff. Uh, and you think that maybe this guy just got nerves, like he choked. Uh, but it turns out that the car is smoking, the hood pops open, and then you can see sort of from a distance, something has been written on the inside of this of the hood (laughs) it's a one of a series of funny animation mistakes you could say or really meta level jokes (laughs) well what does terry say is written on it stop filming this movie or else and then he says it's signed the gremlin but when we zoom in and they show us it says stop filming this movie or else this gremlin not the gremlin but this this gremlin gremlin. it reads like a sentence that was cut off like he ran out of room like stop filming this movie or else this gremlin and it's written in like this weird wet paint looking kind of uh like, it's, yeah, it's a green paint, and he just kind of, like, slopped it on there. So... One last thing I want to point out. From far away, when you haven't zoomed in, filming does not look like it says filming. Like, you can you can clearly read the F and sort of the I-N-G. <laughs> Stop effing this movie. <laughs> this movie, or else. Actually, if you, if you... When they zoom out a little further, it says, Stop effing this gremlin, or else this movie will... Nope, it doesn't... That still doesn't finish. Honestly, I feel like... It's still hilarious that he signed it, this gremlin, (laughs) but if he had put a dash before it, I'm like, okay, he signed it, this gremlin, but it really does read like a run-on incomplete sentence. It absolutely does. So the the car basically like like falls apart, you know, like in classic cartoon fashion, all of the pieces just kind of like implode. And so, yeah, the gremlin has a has sabotaged the vehicle. And really quick, sorry, I, I'd say the director, Bobby Mogul, asked at one point, what's a gremlin? And I think that's a fair question because if you've watched a lot of cartoons, you've seen gremlins maybe elsewhere in Bugs Bunny. Notably in that one Bugs Bunny uh, ep- episode. Yeah, where it's just like, it's just like sabotaging like the, the heck out of this, out of this airplane. And Terry, the stuntman, explains that that is essentially what gremlins do, which if you go to the Wikipedia page, as you may imagine I've done, um, that's what gremlins are known for. They meddle and they tinker and they mess up things. Contrary to a, to a popular, what is it, like a 70s or 80s movie? Yeah. Like you're not supposed to feed them? I haven't seen them. And like something with water. I haven't seen those movies either. I hope our hardcore gremlin fan fans aren't uh, leaving, exiting the podcast. But there we are. This is the real gremlin. We're talking about the real gremlin lore. 
As soon as Terry points this out to Bobby, it pans over to the top of like a hanger. And on top is there's a, the silhouette yeah. of a gecko <laughs> at the top he's, of the hanger. He's uh, he's laughing. He's screaming. He's saying, uh, "You could save fifteen percent on car insurance." <laughs> Crikey, mate! And obviously, this is terrifying to everyone involved. It is, and I mean, you can see down at the bottom there's a uh, there's a little stack of money with googly eyes on it. A caveman pokes his head around the hanger. Is the caveman Geico as well? There's one American insurance company that had like five like ongoing ad campaigns. Yeah, I think it was Geico because 30 Rock made a joke about it. Yeah, because like the Gecko was obviously one of them. The The stack of money with the eyes on it was another one of them. Um, really quick, I don't know if you knew this, but the caveman had a sitcom. What? Yeah, like it was such a, a successful ad campaign that they actually created a spin-off sitcom for these cavemen. And they just live in like the normal world. And they have like these funny like Neanderthal puns. Can you imagine any other commercial getting its own sitcom? And even as I ask that, I have two ideas. I would love to hear what those ideas are. Okay, idea number one. Um, not as great an idea, but uh, the free credit report band. Oh! I think you could you could make an okay sitcom about their life. But really, mayhem from the other insurance commercials. Connecting it up with 30 Rock because he's Liz's terrible ex. Mayhem, I think, could carry a show. You could build a show around him. Oh my gosh, I love Mayhem. That guy is... Also, he's uh, the Vulture on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. That's right. Does he ever... Does he ever call the precinct, the people at the precinct, dummies? <laughs> he's... Oh, he's such a delight. I want to watch a movie where he's a nice guy. Anyway, uh, I don't know if we're going to cut all of that out or not. I, I found it beneficial. We're going to keep at least a little bit of that trivia for you guys. But the point is, we see the gremlin in silhouette form, we zoom in and we see him up close. Initial impressions on the gremlin? He is what I expected gremlin to look like. Like a goblin, but without the long nose. You know, he's, he's like green. He's kind of like a little like runty kind of creature. He's diminutive. He looks a little bit lizardish. He's got a bit of a long tail. Anyways, we see the gremlin. We pan from there to the mystery machine. Like we said, Fred's not in this first season of this show. He does appear later in the second season, but we haven't gotten to that yet. So, so far, we don't know... Why, if he lent them the mystery machine, if he's out of the picture, or why? That, that's a, a meta-level question that hangs in the air. It really is weird to juxtapose this episode with last episode, where Fred, it's uh, a Scooby-Doo Halloween, go check it out. Great episode. Um, where Fred is talking about, like, his baby. Like, my mystery machine! You're okay, baby. Like, he's very protective of the mystery machine in that episode. And elsewhere, we see, and I'm thinking of Be Cool Scooby-Doo now, that it's very much Fred's vehicle. And, and he's, like, actually built contraptions and things into into the vehicle itself. I mean, it just reminds you that Fred and Velma are gone. I would say it's very consistent with, like, the 13 ghosts of, uh, of Scooby-Doo, right? Shaggy, Scooby, Scrappy, uh, Daphne, and Flim Flam. <laughs> Yo, Flim Flam was the, uh, he was the protagonist as far as I'm concerned. Let's get back to the episode. Like you said, Daphne's driving the mystery machine. It's, they're all, uh... The four of them in there, they're going through Hollywood. Shaggy says, I hope we bump into or, or check out like Bobby Mogul's new movie, The Amazing Wonder Car, which is obviously what is being worked on right now. And as they're driving and talking, they pass the Hollywood sign. Then they pass it again. A very obvious repeat background. I do kind of just want to say this now so that we don't have to keep hitting it moving forward. But the animation in, on this particular show, maybe this episode, but on the show, super lazy. It was very flat, and I'd say we've seen better animation in older Scooby-Doo, so it makes you wonder what was going on on a production level. So what happens is they're, they're driving along, they get a flat tire, Daphne start, starts to lose control, and it's not just that they're driving on a road, all of a sudden they are on an unpaved slope. They're on a downward slope in the boonies. Yeah, it, like like it's unpaved. It's literally like they're driving down a hill. And something else worth noting, you said the reason that they're doing this, looking to go talk to these guys, is a report. they're reporters for a teen magazine. They've not mentioned that in this episode yet, so we don't really know why they're interested. I agree, because like the only reason I found out about that is when I read the synopsis on Wikipedia. It's, that's my thing, is you kind of have to read the synopsis to get why they're doing this. So, yeah, they're, they're driving down. What's his face? Uh, Mogul is just like, ah, oh, like we need a new stunt person because uh, Terry walks off. He doesn't want to be part of a haunted production. And as you might expect, or as you might be guessing, the mystery machine careens down this hill and goes through the stunt 
perfectly. Yes, they clear the crevice, they do the Hot Wheels loop-de-loop, they bust through the brick wall. They crash through all of that in the mystery machine, and then they're outside of it. Yeah. Kind of like digging their way out of the bricks. Like, what happened to the to their, to their van? Oh, it's gone. <laughs> it was destroyed. They're rubber bricks, but you can wreck a car with rubber. Yeah, this is a very, like, this wasn't like a shallow wall. Like, these bricks, they were, they were stacked like 10 to 20 deep. Yeah, we were going 60 miles an hour there. Did you not see the slope that we came off of? The, the mystery machine is wrecked. Fred is going to kill me. So Scrappy is the one who's like, oh, these are rubber bricks. They're like, oh, this was, yeah. you know, this was all a stunt. Um, Mogul's like, oh, you guys are my new stunt people, which stands to reason. Yeah, they did just complete the stunt perfectly. Bobby explains to his new stunt people that they have a really big special effect that's, I guess it's going to like revolutionize Hollywood or it's going to like make the movie. And it's so secret only him and the screenwriter, Mickey Hacker, are the ones who know about it. And what they don't want, and I found this very, um, almost like appropriate for the present times, where like, if you're filming, people are taking like set photos, people are trying to like leak things. They don't want reporters, they hate reporters. And like to really hit home the threat that there might be to uh, reporters, Snoopy reporters, um, there's a villain, his name is Eric Von Stronghand, that's the name of the actor. Uh, and he he takes care of Snoopy reporters. And Eric Von Stronghand, I mean, make of this what you will, but he's a big, goonish-looking man of dark complexion. Judging by the name Stronghand, I took him to be, like, First Nations or, like, Native American, but then the Von really throws it off, because that's, like, I don't know, is that, like, German or something? That's, like, European, obviously. I mean, he looks like a caveman. He, he does. He looks like a caveman. He, he's probably modeled after a caveman from an earlier episode. I, I It made me a little bit—this is a very white episode overall. This is the one brown character, and he's big, hulking, and presumably violent. And when they say they say he takes care of the Snoopy reporters, he chimes in with a. <laughs> Again, it's weird. It's such it's such a juxtaposition going from um what's I think it was what's new Scooby Doo. It's it's such a juxtaposition because that one it was like it was like a rural area. It was like you know like um, the American heartland, but there were like a whole bunch of like people of color just as like extras. Yeah, they went out of their way to show to make it a bit more diverse. Here, maybe it's a hard-hitting commentary on Hollywood's whitewashed uh, portrayal of humanity. Maybe maybe the creators of uh, the new Scooby and Scrabby, Scooby and Scrabby Doo show were just super woke. Woke before woke was a thing. Anyways, we meet Eric Von Stronghand. He's a goonish guy who says he's going to basically he's going to take care of any Snoopy reporters. Also a note, Snoopy, a competing uh, series about... That's what I kept thinking, like a dog and his friends. A smart dog, and yeah, it's kind of a veiled threat against Snoopy. This whole time, as they're talking about reporters, Daphne's kind of, you know, like, one finger in the collar. She's kind of like, oh, you know, like, oh, reporters. I'm like, I don't know anything about that. It's- yeah, we're not, oh, yeah, reporters really suck. For me at this point, because I had forgotten the premise that you'd kept track of, I was like, why are they nervous? They're not reporters. We hadn't said anything about that this whole episode. Like, this is not an episode that you can come to fresh and understand what's going on because there's no understand. Yeah, there's no, like, common understanding of that. They are not even real reporters. I think that's the thing. They're, like, it's the guise of them being reporters. They're just pretending to do that. And how hard is it to seed that in there with one little line when they're saying we're psyched to go talk to these this director to say so that we can interview him for the teen magazine. It's This is confusing, okay? We're not explaining it in a confusing way. It is confusing. We're explaining it the way that it is. Okay, so, so they solve supernatural mysteries under the cover of being reporters for a teen magazine. Yeah, so they're nervous because they think the director is going to find out that they're pretending to be reporters so that they can solve mysteries. They can just tell him that they're really there to solve mysteries. That's it. And also, why are they going there? They don't know about the mystery ahead of time. Exactly. Look, they don't need to pretend that they're reporters. All the gang did before was just like drive places and like just like stumble upon mysteries. You don't need like (laughs) secret identities to do that. And also, if a company's got something bad going on, they're not going to welcome a reporter in to say, hey, investigate. We've got (laughs) the rat monster is running around my kitchens, terrorizing my staff. (laughs) Come report on it. 
<laughs> we'll for let, your teen magazine. Hey, you're not going to try and solve this mystery, are you? We'll let you write an article, but you can't solve a, solve the mystery. Just don't unmask the monster for me. Is is that not how teen magazines are? It's kind of like you know, like Selena, Go- like the latest on like Selena Gomez's and like Justin Bieber's relationship, and also like, were you r- wondering about the swamp monster? We've got the scoop on that. Who's the swamp monster groping lately? That's the headline. Selena Gomez and Justin Bieber are on page 65. So I need to, I just need to communicate to our readers really quickly. I'm aware that they have not been an item for a while. Like, I know what's going on. They were just the first names that came to mind. I, that's it. Like, I'm, I'm hip All right. to uh, All right. the, the times. All right. All right, we'll give you, I think they'll give you grace on that. But, I mean, like, tell us a current couple. Tell us a current item so that we know you are up on the times. So basically what happens in this episode... <laughs> okay. No, hey, you didn't do it. <laughs> is, is that the gang, they're stand-ins for all of the stunt people. They're, not only are they stunt drivers, but they're also stunt people, which I guess was exhibited by the fact that they could crash into a wall, total their van, and come out unscathed. Yeah, they all walked away from that. And on top of that, they're now having to do another guys on top of a guys. I'm sorry, can we get back to this thing real quick? That they're like, no, we're not reporters, we're stuntmen. So in their minds, are they mystery solvers pretending to be reporters, pretending to be stuntmen to solve the mystery? Yeah, it all circles back around. It all circles back around to that. I think they're just bad at pretending. I think they're probably in the evenings actually writing articles and sending them to newspapers. Well, they gotta make money, right? It's it's either this or, uh, or Moonlight as construction workers. Yeah, and we know that only pays in specialty pizzas. And also, only men and dogs are hired, so really only <laughs> 75% of them could be working. Daphne can't do anything there. No, she can't. Editor's note, uh, listen to episode one, High Rise Hair Razor. Episode zero, High Rise Hair Razor. The upshot is that, hey, you're not reporters, are you? No, we're stuntmen. And like you said, Evan, they're not just stunt drivers. They're stunt people. They're standing in for the actors. So the latest action scene that Bobby Mogul has cooked up is there is a um, a cliff face. Now on this cliff face, a little bit of rock juts out, and on it are uh, Eric Von Stronghand and an unnamed actress who we are never introduced to. Uh, the unnamed actress looks a lot like Daphne. She's a, a slim redhead dressed in the same stunt outfit. And they all do have corresponding outfits. Shaggy matches the protagonist. Daphne matches this lady. Scooby matches Eric Von Stronghand. Which I love because if you want to go back to that whole race thing, you are a brown man. As far as we're concerned, a dog can be your stand-in. And now, now Scooby is a very human dog, but he is a dog. It's not a comparison you want to make at all. The optics on this episode are not great. It's got like, Eric, you're brown, Scooby's brown. I think... I think we're good here. And the thing is, it's not that they go, we, there's no faceless wardrobe person who does this. When they're like, hey, you're not reporters, are you? Scooby and Scrappy say, nope. They run away and then they zip back dressed up in the appropriate outfits. So presumably the gang has self-selected who they're going to play. And Scooby has decided this <laughs> brown man. The whole stunt is that Shaggy, who is C majors, is going to drive just straight off of this cliff face. Uh, a parachute will pop out. And as he is falling past, he will grab Daphne from the clutches of the villain. And I guess that, that's it. That's the whole stunt. As the director and his camera person film from a helicopter also over the cliff. I think it should be noted, Scrappy is inside the cockpit of the helicopter. That's going to come into play. Scrappy also initially dressed up as a character he was going to be a stunt person for, but we never saw that. So, sorry, Scrappy. <laughs> They just didn't want to push their luck. It's like in the same way that all like brown dogs and brown people are the same, like puppies and like little people are the same. It was like a whole can of worms. We can do a dog as a minority, but we can't do a dog as a minority dwarf. We can ignore the minorities. That's fine. But the dwarfs, they they tune in every week. They're uh, they're uh, they're an extremely vocal minority. So they go with the stunt. Shaggy is nervous, obviously, about driving over the cliff. Who wouldn't be? Uh, but he does it. You know, he he drives the car. And again, it's weird because a lot of this is literally death-defying. They could die if something goes wrong. He's in a car with a parachute because the parachute does pop out and he's floating down. But that's scary. I feel like I say this every episode, but this feels like a genuinely scary episode of Scooby-Doo to watch as a kid. It feels like they're in actual danger. I'm trying to think. It's either Fast... I think it's Fast 7 
that has them parachute down in uh, in vehicles. For all of you Fast and Furious fans out there, we have referenced them previously. I think by the time this episode comes out, Fate of the Furious will have already come out. I'm almost positive this episode's coming out in like May or June, so it will. It's coming out in April. We're recording this in March. A lot of how the sausage is made going on right now. Who doesn't like to see how the sausage is made? Or at least see it when it comes out of the oven. Goes into the oven? What's the expression I'm looking for? Where where, where do you put your sausage? Do you make sausages in an oven? (laughs) The gremlin pops out. Shaggy goes off the cliff. The parachute does pop and he grabs Daphne and she's just dangling all over the edge of the car over open air. And Scooby, as he wasn't supposed to do, is holding on to Daphne's legs. So at this point, the stunt has already gone horribly wrong. Uh, Shaggy could drop Daphne, killing her and Scooby, or Shaggy could be pulled out, killing all of them. And then the gremlin pops out, and I do want to note, this is a monster that talks a lot. Yeah, kinda, kinda weird. What other monsters have we seen that talk? The, uh, the skateboarder. The Scooby dude. Had the skateboarder. Dude! Kind of using that as a reference point. As far as I'm concerned, whenever a monster can talk, that monster becomes less threatening. And this one's neither threatening nor hilarious as the skateboarder was. He sounds like a knockoff Mark Hamill's Joker. I'm going to get you for this. Yeah, he comes out and he's, uh, he says, So none of you would heed the gremlin's warning. You'll pay for this. He uses a grappling hook. He tears the parachute. And then they plummet to their deaths. Like, that's what happens. Like, they're... This is one of the scariest moments we've seen in Scooby-Doo. Like, it was already bad. Now the parachute is busted. Scrappy-Doo saves the day inadvertently. He's in the cockpit. He trips over a little lever because he wants to get a closer look at his uncle's demise. I will say the director encourages it. The director, when he sees the torn parachute, says, Oh, this is even better than I thought. Uh, snuff films are selling like crazy. A little grappling hook in turn drops from the helicopter, snags onto the car. They're safe, whatever. They didn't die. Now the gremlin, like if anything, the stakes have been raised because the gremlin looks like is willing to kill. Yeah, absolutely willing to kill. This would have killed them if Scrappy hadn't uh, switched that trigger that brought the grappling hook that saved them. They're not quite saved. They're still descending slowly. The last little bit of tension is where Scooby is hanging on to Daphne's legs and her boots start to slip. And Scooby does actually fall. The boots do slip off completely. Yeah, and just to give you a full image of that, it's Scooby holding Daphne's boots. Daphne's wearing this almost speed racer looking getup with like these uh, blue leggings that the boots are over. Scooby pulls the boots off. We see her blue legginged feet dangling. Uh, Scooby's okay because he was just a foot or two off the ground. But when we pan back up, Daphne's legs are bare. (laughs) Did you catch that? Is that something? No, I I didn't catch a lot of these like really really like minute details. No, it was a minute detail, but it was it seemed so significant that it's very clear that when Scooby pulls the boots off and he falls, she has blue leggings on. But then they pan down from Shaggy looking down at Scooby, and Daphne's legs are totally bare, as if she's just wearing a one piece swimsuit from the waist up. I'm really glad you brought up the comparison of Speed Racer, because uh, there's a lot. Of aesthetic of like the vehicle that's being used it's got like a like a cockpit like a like a spaceship like a ufo mm. that kind of like slides over it all feels very speed racery but uh, the upshot is we've now had the stakes raised the gremlin is willing to kill as you said and the director is a little bit negligent he shouldn't work in this town the director also seems pretty cavalier when it comes to like the the lives of his stuntmen I mean, Terry, the previous stuntman, comes back to kind of offer warning to everyone on set, and he's roundly ignored. So I'm just going to fast forward ahead to, I guess, the last big, like, action piece of this episode. Though I will mention that there is a brief, the briefest of chase scenes in a, uh, in like a costumes uh, department. Yeah, they're on a movie set, so there's going to be costumes. Apparently, whenever they shoot a movie in the desert, they bring all of their costumes with them. And of course, it creates an opportunity for Scooby and Shaggy to walk through all the suits of armor and all the costumes and stuff and be surprised by the gremlin. And if there was ever a setting in which the classic Scooby-Doop could be enacted, this is the setting. I, too, was expecting the Scooby-Doop. And for our first-time listeners or those who have forgotten the Scooby-Doop, that is where Scooby and Shaggy pull a gag that the monster gets drawn into. 
Or what might they do in a... Almost literally anything, because there are so many costumes. My idea, I just came up with something, is that they are like a casting director and a makeup person. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, you need to be on set in like five minutes. Oh, we need to get you ready. And then they like puff a whole bunch of powder all over his face that kind of blinds yeah. him. They, they put him in the chair. They spin him around real fast. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and then... And when they're done, you know, he has, like, a smear of lipstick, like, all this eyeshadow, and they just, like, skedaddle. And they're gone, and he looks at himself in the mirror, and he... <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the whole thing. That's scarier than if the monster was like, what did you do to me? Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just, he's not a scary monster because he talks so much. And this is a missed opportunity because they are only scared by the monster, and then they jump in a couple of dresses. And it's Eric Von Stronghand that finds them and says, you guys got to get to set. And Shaggy says, thanks, Eric. And it's kind of this weird moment where he calls him by his first name. Humanizes the guy. Also, there's no way Eric Von Stronghand is the gremlin. Because the gremlin is so small. The, the gremlin, that's one thing, is that the gremlin looks really diminutive. He looks very small. So uh, we find out that the gremlin's... What he's going to do to sabotage everything is, uh, he says, this barrel of oil will make the final stunt really slick. He puts oil on this racetrack. And the final stunt is, what was the final stunt going to be? They drive the car into a robot? The car was meant to drive, I guess, right in front of the robot. Because the robot is the actual big special effect that Mogul was so hyped about. It's underneath a tarp, so there's a reveal involved. Yeah, the weird thing is that they're supposed to drive up to this robot underneath a tarp. We don't see that it's a robot at first. But it's still under the tarp when they're shooting the scene. So presumably within the context of this movie, they still don't haven't revealed what it is yet. Maybe that's why it's so secret. He wants to get their real reactions. He doesn't want even the actors playing the characters to know. Like Alien, the chestburster scene where, like, they weren't, like, primed for that. So they got, like, the actual, like, screams of horror yeah. at what was going on. Anyways, the gremlin does slick some oil on the track, which does make the gang spin out as they're going down this track, ram into this object covered in a tarp that turns out to be a giant robot. Uh, it's called uh, a cybernaut. And what the gremlin does to, to really, like, this is his main plan in terms of sabotaging the movie, he controls the robot. Yeah, which Bobby Mogul was supposed to be able to control with a yellow arcade-looking box next to the robot and a whole bunch of identical red buttons on it. But the robot's moving all on his own. And then we zoom in on Shaggy's face and he whispers, Westworld, timely. Uh, the robot picks up the car. They actually do almost like a like a shot-for-shot recreation of Scooby holding on to Daphne's boots as she's like falling out of the vehicle. And again, the Daphne's boots slide off as uh, Scooby's holding on to it. And this is the crazy thing. That as they slide off, and we just see her, like, from the knees below, her legs are bare. And she says, as Scooby falls down, not again. Did we mention that Quentin Tarantino directed this episode? (laughs) It's so weird. Whenever anybody counts in this episode, they use their toes. They take off their shoes and their socks. Yeah, and there's this one part where Shaggy, uh, like, wants to, like, taste a little bit of a cake, so he dips his toe in it and then licks the frosting off. It's so lovingly rendered. It's. I think I saw a little bit of the inspiration for Cowboy Bebop in it. It was so fluid and so emotive. Foot fetish is notwithstanding. Uh, Scooby, again, is holding on to Daphne's boots, which slide off, and this time we see her legs are bare underneath the boots, which is weird because she was just wearing pants, and when we pan back up, she is wearing pants again. It's crazy to me that they made it, they, in that stunt, they acknowledge that it's happening again, and Daphne is like, not again, but they do the reverse. And I did zoom in on that quite a bit. I guess I'm a bit Tarantino-esque myself. Okay, we're not, we're not gonna, we're not gonna focus on that, uh... In a lot of ways... Evan, what's the sexiest toe? It's the pinky toe. Okay. In a lot of ways, uh, and I don't think I've ever used this phrase before, the gremlin was hoisted by his own petard. Because the gremlin uh, uses oil. Like, that's what he wants to do, right? He wants to, like, make them crash and die. But the oil is used used by Scooby to destroy the robot. And the oil is also what keeps the gremlin from running up a hill. Because it's slick, and he slips and falls. And essentially catches himself. So he's... Hoisted by his own petard? That's a new phrase for me. No, it's it just basically means that, like, you, you know, like, it's your own, you basically, like, led to your own downfall. Foiled by his own Acme product. And who should it turn out to be? Because Daphne figures it out. And it's Mickey Hack, the screenwriter. I don't know, he, th- he thought it was a bad movie. And as the screenwriter, his name is on it. And originally, 
His idea was to have this be a romance. This movie just wasn't what he wanted it to be. And it's uh, the, the thing that I, I was expecting was for the body to match the villain in some way, and it didn't. Uh, like we said, it looks like a really small villain, and Mickey Hack was a normal-looking guy. It's just normal size, like average build. I mean, this is pretty much it. Like, Daphne is the one who... Well, Daphne is the one who figures it out, because only two people knew about the big special effect. And those were Bobby Mogul and Mickey Hack, and it obviously wasn't Bobby Mogul. And yeah, like I said, really, that's the end of the episode. The one last thing that we do end on is them doing the stunt in reverse that they opened in on. I actually love that, because because basically Bob, Bobby Mogul's like, look, we're going to do a new movie, I want you guys to be my stunt people, and they're so eager to leave that, yeah, they, they do the whole, uh, they, do, they, they do the reverse stunt. A nice finish for it. And that's the first, epi- the first half of this episode, The Fall Dog. Hit us with the synopsis for the Scooby for the next episode, for the next half. The next episode is the Scooby Coop, where the gang goes to a car show to interview a car maker about his new sports car, but the car is haunted. So again, they're going to interview, but again, they don't mention that that's the reason that they're there, is that it's for a teen magazine. And again, if they're using the teen magazine as a cover, what's their real reason for going there? Because they're there when everyone finds out the car is haunted. On this show, the place isn't haunted until they show up. Whereas in other episodes, they hear about a mystery and that's why they go there to solve it. But here they're just like reporting on things they're not really reporting on. And then these things happen to have mysteries attached to them. If anything, the gang should be the number one suspects. <laughs> they're, they're going from place to place with these, uh, these people always dressing up as monsters. Really, they're just elaborate con artists. They're really great at framing people. Anyway, they basically, they are, they're at this auto show. And they're there for the purpose of seeing the unveiling of Dr. Sprocket's XYZ Sports Coupe. So I think we see a thematic consistency across these two episodes. As someone who does not yet have his full driver's license, mm. let me just say that these did not land with me maybe as heavily as they might with you or other listeners. Well, I think the attention to detail on how they... They actually do a lot of stuff that's true to how cars actually work. For me, as a driver and car owner, did land very neatly. For instance, Scooby and Shaggy at the beginning of the episode, they're going in one of these new cars, they're hanging out in it. They press a button in which the car with these two pincer-like claws um, tucks Scooby in. His Scooby seat reclines and the two claws like whip out a pillow and put on a nightcap for him and pull this blanket up. And cars actually do that. That is a feature that cars were developing at that time. I believe it's referred to as uh, snooze control. Is that not correct? Shaggy's heard of cruise control, but not snooze control. And then they press another button, which whips out the booze control, pours them each uh, a glass of Jack. Not a shot, just a full glass. Yeah, just a, a full glass, not a shot each. And later on in the episode, we see the car's capability for clues control. They actually solve the mystery in just uh, 30 more seconds from the uh, monster being introduced. It's really, really helpful later on when uh, when the monster is chasing them and they need to sort of like throw him off their trail. They, uh, they activate the car's ruse control. <laughs> yeah, and the car actually performs a Scooby Doop on the monster as we wish we'd saw the last episode. In this case, it is a, it is a, uh, a Coop Scooby Doop. It's, uh... <laughs> it's the Scooby Coop. Woohoo! And then, of course, the the car pulls on its own its Doo's control and finds Scooby and Scrappy Doo. Are we done? Like, is the bit... Have we run out? Well, I mean, of course, they turn on the radio, which is Foo's control when the Foo Fighters come on. No! I, actually, I think this, this was still Nirvana days. That joke doesn't work. That's the only part that didn't work. You, you think that Foo's control is when this really went off the rails. <laughs> Foo's control is where that joke broke. Scooby and Shaggy are, uh, are just, they're messing around in a convertible. For some reason, the roof lifts them up 10 stories into the air. And Shaggy pushes a button that makes the roof, because it's convertible, that it starts covering them, but it scoops under, picks them up, and it starts raising like you might imagine the magic carpet would raise Aladdin. Like, yeah, no exaggeration, several stories into the air. It keeps raising. It's almost comedic, but it just keeps going. It's so weird because snooze control, as much as we've joked about it, kind of makes some logical sense. But I just can't imagine why would you want your roof to go this high or to scoop you up, which is what happened. And it's it looks like fruit by the foot. It just keeps stretching and stretching. There is just like yards and yards of roof. What happens is that 
uh, this this woman, her name is Ingrid Ignition. Kind of, I like that name. She owns the car and she saves him, which is nice. It's good on you, Ingrid. Yeah, she presses a button. She walks up, presses a button, and it drops them back down into their seats. And it's Ingrid Ignition, who's kind of the uh, Danica Patrick of her day, I guess. Yeah, ooh, wow, you name dropping, uh, name dropping. It's not F-150, it's a boring one, NASCAR. Yeah, NASCAR. NASCAR, I was watching with my granddad and my brother once. The last five minutes are like some of the most intense tense minutes you've ever seen in a sporting event yeah it just takes so long to get there i should uh i should try that sometime and uh it's a pity we don't see ingrid ignition in action but we do talk to her a little bit i'd say she's a rosie the riveter type tough as nails charmer yeah she wouldn't be like out of place on like wacky racers she lightly chides scooby and shaggy for messing around in her show vehicle uh so daphne is remember a fake reporter and so she is fake interviewing Dr. Sprocket, and it turns out that Dr. Sprocket has received anonymous threats. And they ask Dr. Sprocket's assistant to confirm. Uh, his assistant, Crocker Pitt, shows up. Crocker Pitt looks like a villain. He looks like a more cleanly designed, snidely whiplash. He's got kind of that, he's got a, a big crook, hook, prominent silhouette ruining oh, Luke. profile. Oh, he has a big nose as well. Whoa! Too far! Like I said, he's Snidely Whiplash, but without, like, the crooked mustache. He's, like, a clean Snidely Whiplash. Yeah, it's like after Snidely Whiplash became a therapist is what he looks like, with a turtleneck and a green suit jacket. And he's only there for a moment to say, to say, yeah, we've been getting threats, but I gotta go look at, take care of our car. So... They unveil the XYZ sports coupe, and I keep wanting to see it say XYZ because I'm Canadian and because, like, I almost feel like our Canadian listeners are going to, like, lambast me for that. Get ready to get lambasted. The XYZ, the XYZ sports coupe is blue. It Whatever. It looks like a car. And right after it's unveiled, we see the second monster to this episode with the v- terrible name of the Spectre of Sports Cars. I think that should be the first clue, is that whoever this is, they're bad at naming things. Do you want to describe the specter of sports cars to our listeners really quickly? KKK member. (laughs) And overall, like 100% ghostly white. How would you describe it? I would describe the specter of sports cars as the Greendale human being, but wearing a cloak. (laughs) Also, one thing that makes the Greendale human being so scary is because the Greendale human being is silent. And unfortunately, the specter of sports cars is not silent. No, it's been a couple of talky villains lately. I think if they if they if he let everyone else name him from the start, he would have been scarier. He he comes out. I am the specter of sports cars, which is okay. First of all, awful. And then he continues. I haunt the X Y Z sports car. Behold, look. I like to think that he had intended to say nothing and had hoped that everyone would immediately be scared and react. But he came out and everyone was silent and just kind of weirded out because it's a show. They think he's part of the show, that he's like the mascot for the car. And then he starts just riffing, narrating on the fly. No, look, you you said that he might be the mascot for the car. That makes all of the sense in the world when you listen to his dialogue. Because first of all, he says, I haunt the XYZ sports car. And then he says later, as he, you know, he uses his glove, like sparks come out and he controls it. I command the XYZ sports coupe. Yeah, and it starts moving. It, it's like if, if this guy was a... What is that one, Lincoln? It's a... Uh, that's stupid. Matthew McConaughey keeps starting these stupid Lincoln commercials. Uh, the, the Lincoln MKC. So this would... Okay, let me, let me just sort of like change up the ghost dialogue. I am the specter of luxury sedans. I haunt the Lincoln MKC. Behold, look. Yeah, he's a mascot. He's shilling for this vehicle that i guess he wants to fail for some reason yeah it's less chilling more shilling is the way to put it if if i were there watching it i think this is part of the show it's hauntingly fuel efficient (laughs) ghostly quiet while running and so the the not sorry not the lincoln mkc the the xyz sports coupe is menacing people when the this the specter of sports cars turns it on it's rolling at like two miles an hour like it's pulling into a church parking lot Which makes it even more seem like it's part of the stunt. Right, yeah, it's not a threat. Scrappy has his most Scrappy-Doo-esque moment right now, in which he puts up his his little dukes. He's just like, you know, like, I'm gonna fight this car. 
uh, but the car keeps coming at him. He says, actually, he says, I'll splat that buggy buggy. And then he decides not to because he's a puppy and this is a car. An odd moment of uh, scrupulous behavior. Let me point out, fighting a car would be the most dog-like thing for him to do. And he backs down. And this is also an opportunity to do, I think, what they brought Scrappy on for, which is to make Scooby the cautious one to grab him and pull him away from the battle. But Scrappy does that himself. And in the last episode, he was almost absent. So to escape the uh, to escape the XYZ sports coupe, Shaggy and Scooby, they hop into an experimental vehicle. Yeah, they look around the showroom. They find the most phallic car they can. And I, I know I, I didn't want to harp on the animation, but uh, Scooby's in the driver's seat. Shaggy says, um, Scooby, you don't even have a license. And, and you know, Sh- uh, Sh- Scooby shows his license. Shaggy says... That's your dog license. But when he says this, his lips do not move. It's a totally still frame. Towards the end of this episode, I'll say it now, there's a one minute sequence as they're doing the wrap up where people talk only when they're off screen because they don't want to animate mouths. It's like some He-Man levels of, of like bad animation. There are a lot of uh, really interesting thematic elements between these two halves, uh, which makes me want to return to this show, even though ultimately... I'm not a huge fan of it. It just it's interesting how like the same sort of things can happen in these two different narratives. But essentially the vehicle that they're in goes up very high, they eject out of it, they take uh parachutes down, which again, cars high in the air, parachutes, you know, there are a lot of similarities. Very similar, yeah. I think the thing of uh, something being becoming autonomous or being controlled by a villain. So they want to solve the mystery, and here's where we get the closest thing to this to the Scooby Dupe which is that uh, Scooby doesn't want to do this. He shows up in like a like a little schoolboy outfit. Just Scooby, not Shaggy, just Scooby. Daphne is saying we need to come up with a plan to get this, take care of this specter. And Scooby says, nope. He runs off screen, runs back on screen. He's wearing a schoolboy outfit complete with sailor hat and blonde hair poking out. Like, uh, like Prince Valiant. He's got like that little like blonde bob. Very square. And he hands Shaggy a note. <laughs> And it says, uh, Shaggy reads out loud. It says, please excuse Scooby today so he can go to school. It's a note from Scooby's mother. No matter who's watching this, we're assuming Scooby has written this note himself to get himself out of this problem. And it, it, it's sort of like an interesting transition because the Scooby dupe, I feel, is used here in almost like a perverted fashion. He's using it against his own people. Not even against his own people, against Shaggy. They do the Scooby dupe. Scooby and Shaggy do the Scooby dupe. His best friend. It's sad to watch. But then, right after, Daphne says, Oh, well, Scooby, you know, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. But I was going to give you a whole box of Scooby snacks. Which I liked. I liked that element. I didn't like how we got there. So now they're back on the showroom floor. In almost like a shot, not a shot for shot, but like the incident is exactly the same in which Scooby and Shaggy are in one of these vehicles. And in this case, it is what they call an ultra-modern garbage truck. And it almost crushes them. It picks them up, it puts them in the back, and it's like that trash compact, you know, like Star Wars. They'd, yeah, gotten scooped into the back by this self-driving garbage car- truck, and it starts crushing the walls, start closing in on them. And they are again saved by everyone's favorite driver, Ingrid Ignition, who again lightly chides them for messing with other people's property and endangering their lives to no end. And so they're like, okay, great, like we had our lives saved. Oh, what's this in the, uh, in the cab? They find a glove. And it has the initials I.I. on it. Yes, as well as uh, some weird-looking tech on the back of the hand. It looks a little bit almost like a Nintendo Power Glove, like it's got some sort of programming capabilities. Yeah, Almost exactly, yeah. Pretty much right after they find that, the Spectre jumps out, menacing them with only one white glove on. To To the point where, like, look, let's say you're the Spectre and you've lost a glove. Why would you show up to menace people if your bare hand is showing? Because that that proves that you're not a real ghost, that you're wearing a costume. It's a question that we immediately have to ask. Interspersed with that, we see Daphne reading a newspaper that mentions how Dr. Sprocket is in competition with Ingrid Ignition. They're rivals. They're rivals to win this prestigious car award. Yeah, it's a blue ribbon. So we're, we're maybe a little suspicious of Ingrid at this point, given the initials on the glove and the established rivalry, and that's when the monster jumps out again, a specter of sports cars. The specter shows up again, and the specter is missing a glove so that you can see the bearskin underneath. But the way that it's so interesting that they drew this, if you look at the other hand, you can see that there's a gap between the robe 
and the glove so that you see the bear skin on the other arm as well. The upshot is that the Spectre has Daphne and Scrappy trapped between him and the vehicle he's charging at them. So he, he's controlling the vehicle and uh, the um, Daphne and all of them, they get out of the way. And at this point, the Spectre realizes that the car is coming directly at him. And I can't not see it as like the end of Spider-Man. You know, with a goblin glider. <laughs> Especially because the Spectre looks a little goblin-esque. So, like, you know, it's coming at him fast, and all of a sudden it, like, zooms in on, like, Willem Dafoe slash the Spectre's face. And he says, like, oh, and then it just, like, impales him. That was the setup for me. I was expecting this to be the end of the episode where he gets hit. But the Spectre jumps up in the air and hangs from a light fixture to dodge the car, which slams into a wall and is crushed and destroyed. Which is a little bit surprising because the XYZ sports coupe was sort of like this big thing that they needed to protect so the fact that it's destroyed was actually significant like oh like they couldn't save it like they messed up yeah this is like where the monster is trying to get this business to close by menacing all the customers if he actually got the business closed and the business failed as a result of it presumably the monster has achieved his goal if it's ingrid ignition as we're led to believe it is up to this point she's won um, they look at the wreckage and they see that there's a remote control. There's like a little bit of a contraption on the uh, on the gas pedal. So they're like, okay, whoever did this, they must have been a mechanical genius. At which point the Spectre says, yes, someone like me. Then he picks up Scooby and, sorry, Shaggy and Daphne and just starts to run away with them, one under each arm. As Scooby and Scrappy just stand there and look on. And I can't blame the Spectre for ignoring them. They're dogs, presumably not viable witnesses. The Spectre basically traps them in what looks like a Mad Max-esque vehicle, not in the sense that it's like junky or like beat up, but in the sense that this is a car with a literal cage on the back of it. Yeah, the, the cage on the back looks a bit like one of those playground geodesic domes. The chase, like I can sum up this, this final scene very, very quickly in that they use the ultra modern garbage truck to catch the Spectre and save their friends. And while they're doing this, the ultra-modern garbage truck is cleaning up the city. It is it is emptying garbage. It is, like, buffing windows. It's really just fixing everything. They catch the Spectre, and it turns out to be... Crocker Pit. It's the assistant. Crocker Pit tries to set up ingredient ignition. Apparently, Crocker Pit was the one to take this glove, put eye eye on it, and hide it in this ultra-modern garbage truck that he knew Scooby and... Shaggy were going to get into because they can't not get into vehicles that they're not supposed to. He read his victims very well, and I love a good red herring, and there is that here. Ingrid uh, Ignition has a lot of technical prowess. She demonstrates it from the start with her own car. The glove has her initials on it, and then we establish that she has motive with this rivalry. So it's a solid red herring. You gotta give it that. To the point where I was a tiny bit surprised. Like, oh, it's Crocker Pitt. I, like, I was impressed. I, there was a lot of added complexity to this mystery that I really appreciated. Apparently, Crocker Pitt was doing this to put Sprocket out of business He uh, so that he could take, like, the plans, the blueprints, start his own auto company or something. I don't know. He says, I would have made a fortune if you nosy kids hadn't butted in. If you nosy kid reporters for that teen magazine hadn't butted in, as we all know, so it almost goes without saying. The whole show ends with them going back to Dr. Sprocket and just letting him know, hey, it was your assistant. Dr. Sprocket's still screwed, remember? His car isn't there. The, the amount of money just involved in, like, R&D and then in, like, creating this vehicle, astronomical. So, really, he's still the loser here. He's a broken man. He's bankrupted. You can't repair that. Uh... In, in what I think was one of my favorite parts of the entire episode, we get to where they're going to award the Blue Ribbon. And as far as we're concerned as viewers, it's either going to be Ingrid and Ignition's uh, sports coupe or, uh, or Dr. Sprocket's sports coupe. In spite, of his, in spite of being destroyed, people got to look at it, it's in the running. Um, and who should win? But the garbage truck. The ultra-modern garbage truck, and that slayed me. I loved that. <laughs> it was an actual surprising turn. <laughs> It was, it was so nice. Like, the, t the the two swerves, you got the swerve of, like, oh, it's it's Crocker Pit, and then the other swerve of, like, oh, it's the ultra-modern garbage truck because you, uh, you cleaned up the city, and people were really impressed by that. And remember, they did clean up the city as they were chasing the villain. It was picking up uh, emptying garbage cans and executing the homeless. Yeah, that, that programming where it tried to crush Scooby and Shaggy, 
That's a thing it's actually supposed to do. Well, it saw a hippie and an unneutered stray dog. What else is it supposed to do? Uh, so, let me say, I, I was not impressed by this going in, but the last 11 minutes, like, really sold me on it. Yeah, and I love the thematic consistency between the two. The, the whole thing is mechanical things coming to life or being controlled remotely. I'm eager to return to it down the road, and I'd love to return to it with one of the episodes where Fred or Velma come back to see what that looks like. We have already run out of time, but let's spend the next just few minutes talking about the format because sort of before we got into this, one of the things that we had each shared is that you're getting shorter episodes, and as a result, you're getting less. Yeah, I mean, you get twice the number of mysteries, but each one is much thinner than you might expect the mystery to be. And I think that's, that's a detriment. We, we have this checklist, and there's not much for us to check off of it. For one thing, Scooby and Shaggy don't eat anything in this episode. Yeah, there's no food stuff, which is I mean, one of the most distinctive things about Scooby and Shaggy. Sure, Scooby likes Scooby snacks, and that's built into the second episode a little bit, but I think of that as a little bit separate. Yeah, um, there's not really any sort of significant chase scene in, in either halves of this episode. No, the chase scenes are, I think, one of the weakest parts of the both episodes. Because Fred is not around, there's not really a let's split up and look for clues moment. The clues take a backseat a little bit. They're still there, but they're not they're not elevated as we see in other episodes. And then lastly, there's no there's no uh, scheme or, or setup to, to trap the monster and unmask them. It just happens. There's no leader enough to say, hey, let's work on a trap, let's find some clues, let's split up. None of that really happens. And the wrap-up and unmasking is kind of... it lacks pageantry. These are all key components that you and I have put together for what makes a good classic Scooby-Doo episode. And to have so many of them absent is very telling, I think. I think it shows that you can't do as much in these short episodes. And the reason for that is because this is a show that revolves around mystery. Hmm. You need to devote more time to to a mystery like that's all there is to it what do you think velma and fred were doing during this episode just enjoying their lives yeah i think they were vacationing in cancun together just you know just like relishing the opportunity to not not be a part of these shenanigans being logical and task oriented about everything the fact that fred is separate from the mystery machine probably made this a very stressful time for him shaggy and scooby off with my gal and daphne Okay, so we've pretty much wrapped up the episode. So, uh, that certainly was an episode of Scooby Dudes. That was the full episode. You listened to all of it. Congratulations, you win! We're so proud of you. We are also giving you this added bonus of an outro. And you know what? I'll pretend to be your grandpa and let you sit on my lap. So yeah, that's that's staying in, huh? Oh yeah. That's <laughs> staying in the outro. That's staying in the outro. Ah. You should cut that out. We, we do want to thank you for listening to this episode. It, it is a delight to create this podcast, and it, it gives us a great amount of satisfaction and joy that we have people who listen to us. All that said, this episode doesn't come out of nowhere. It's not something that's free for us to make and send to you. We are supported by some incredibly generous people who we would like to spotlight right now. These people certainly deserve shout-outs for helping us to uh, keep the show running helping to keep this boat puttering along. And we have some new donors this week we need to draw your attention and praise to. So these donors have uh, contributed to us on Patreon. I, from time to time, will be uploading content that you will be able to access whether or not you donate. But if you do donate, you'll get that all, you'll get all of that content. Sweet original content. Our existing donors know this. A couple new people are just finding this out right now, and we want to give them a special thank you for being first-time donors. So, uh, yeah, we want to uh, we want to give a humongous shout out to to Carl. Carl, thank you so much for donating. Unbelievably, we don't know you, but you're donating to us. I don't believe I have any Carls in my Facebook friends list at all. M- me neither. I don't know, especially Carl with a K. I thank you for donating to us. Apparently you like what we're doing, even though you, we're not pressuring you as a friend to do this. So thank you. Yeah, everyone else we have obviously coerced. Yeah, for instance, Roxanne, thank you for your donation. We know you didn't have much choice not to donate based on how we'd been pestering you. But thank you nonetheless. Yeah, Carl and Roxanne, you're, uh, you're two of the greats. And y- look, we can't express or repeat this enough 
we're we're just so uh, we're just so filled with gratitude. We're floored. No ifs, ands, or booties. This is one of the nicest things anyone's ever done for me. You guys are amazing, and you join a group of some of the finest individuals this earth has to offer. We aren't just going to shout them out their first time. We want to give them continual shout outs, and you're joining that pool. Every single week, we make an effort into saying their names on on the air, as it were. Uh, just because they deserve it. They deserve it. These are recurring donations, so you get recurring shout-outs. You don't get that from everywhere, but you get it from the Scooby-Dudes. And here it is. Thank you guys one more time for your wonderful donations. Thank you so much. With that said, if you don't have the time or the cashola to check us out on Patreon, there are some other platforms you can follow up with us on to get some sweet content and to get involved. Facebook.com slash ScoobyDudes. So if you like our podcast, like the page. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you don't think. That way we can try and figure out what you do think by what you omit. <laughs> Twitter, the ScoobyDudes. Remember the the. The the ScoobyDudes. We are the the ScoobyDudes. The 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 Scooby Dudes. The the Scooby the Dudes. Enough. <laughs> Shoot us an email at scoobydudespodcast at gmail.com. And more than anything, the number one place you gotta check us out is scoobydudes.com. I personally really slave away on that website. And what I really want to do is just provide you with extra content. I want you to be able to listen to the episode and then get more out of it by, by checking out the site. Because uh, for one thing, I take screen caps, and then Luke and I, we caption them. Very proud of these captions. As proud, sometimes prouder than the podcast itself. (laughs) I am of the captions. I think they're really excellent. In addition to all that, we've got great show notes. You can catch some great trivia about this episode. Corrections, if you feel like something was wrong before you email us, read us the corrections. And check out sweet original art for each individual episode. Yep, we we go out of our way to commission and pay artists uh, to create these original title cards. For this particular episode, uh, we have a new featured artist. That's correct. Yeah, we're very excited to be bringing her on. Uh, so her name is uh, Trisha Ocock, and she is uh, she's a good friend of ours. I uh, worked with her in college, and we're very excited to have her talented hand back in action. She will be doing the next run of title cards. Please enjoy her stuff. Please enjoy the podcast. Thank you once again for listening. Thank you guys for listening. We don't want to keep you too much longer. We know you got to get to Patreon and donate money. So go for it. Is that your new voice? Is that your new... Money. Donate your money. (laughs) Your money. Uh, Catch you next week. Love you too. Catch you always.